I was playing a game of Trivial Pursuit with uh, friends of the podcast, E. Charles R. and Z. Ryan B. And when I say playing Trivial Pursuit, I really mean just reading questions off the stacks of cards because why do you play the stupid game? There's no point to it. Uh, yeah. This question is the greatest question that's ever been asked ever. It is, it's pure, perfect comedy. It does not even matter what the answer is. The answer is just like, oh, it's one of those things you've heard of. It doesn't matter. It's all in the question. What brand of peanut butter, after being packed in kid-friendly squeeze-it tubes, won the National Tube Council's 2003 <laughs> Tube of the Year Award? <laughs> <laughs> this is a real organization and a real award. I looked it up. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Grant, you're saying you already... you're. You're not gonna. You're not gonna do a spoiler for this year's tubies, are you? Packed in these tubes. <laughs> won the national tube. Tube Council's of the year. Tube of the year. <laughs> what else would the national tube council like deal with? Why? Why would it deal with anything? Fuck. Why do tubes need dealt with? Let's see. Why do we need that? Fuck. Ninety-seven was Pillsbury. Ninety-eight was. <laughs> I think Nestle went back to back in 99 and 2000. <laughs> why why do we need a tube council? What 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 pressing issues are there in the world of tubes uh that we need a whole council of wise elders? Are there tube arguments? I I don't know. <laughs> I think we we raise the collect, you know, we we hold, hold certain awards with a high esteem. I think we raise the bar so that an EGOT now has two T's. <laughs> it's an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar. <laughs> Tony, uh, Tony, mm-hmm. and a tube of the year. Tony and a national tube council. <laughs> what tube peanut butter? It was. I think the answer was Skippy. Well, no, no. I, have you ever seen? No, peanut I've never seen it in a tube. But appa- yeah. maybe there's a reason. Maybe they had some sort of uh, amazing, you know, innovative <laughs> tube that allowed them to capture the power of peanut butter within the humble tube. I like like the like big like the the owners of Big Jar are just sitting there going like yeah, never right. get a tube never get peanut butter in a tube yeah it's a worthless cause yeah see good luck with that asshole <laughs> if you were looking at the, the the building that the corporate headquarters of Big Jar is in there were a lot of jumpers that day when they when they announced their tube right. campaign a lot of jumpers and then that guy shows up and he's like uh, hey you like tubes how do you like these tubes or some sort of dumb uh, punchline mm. uh, just rubs it in their face you read your Gordon Wood uh, yeah um, I've never read Hamlet but I'm pretty sure to be or not to be was about those tubes mm. whether it is nobler to squeeze or now I'm gonna stop if you watched the podcast video feed you'll see me jumping out of the, the <laughs> there's a lot of jumpers <laughs> on this podcast <laughs> You'll see me hurriedly throwing a blanket over my uh, selection of uh, tubes I'm trying to invent, knowing I'm never going to reach peanut butter. Mm, It's it's a fool's game at this point. The National Tube Council. The Tube of the Year. What a bunch of dildos. God, it's I now have a new life goal to someday sit on the National Tube Council. (laughs) Chairman Emeritus of the National Tube Council. Imagine you're hired to emcee that event. And they're like, all right, so what is this? Now you're going to announce tube of the year. I'm sorry, there's a terrible typo here. It yeah, says tube everywhere. <laughs> Everything says tube. 
So tube was a placeholder for what? What do we actually... <laughs> this is a Laura Mitzen thing, right? <laughs> Welcome, members of Lil Cap and Travis. That's you, our listening audience. And a special welcome to members of our super secret double diamond club, the Hoggies. To members of our super secret double diamond club, hang your decoder ornaments on the tree next to my frosty friends, because this week we're talking about Christmas, baby. Ah, That's right. Christmas. That, thank you, Matt. Blah, 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 blah. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of families have uh, traditions, and one of the one of the events in all of our Christmases for many years was. The brothers' gift exchange. Uh, most of us are close enough in age. I have no idea how old Grant is, but yeah, we're all close enough to to have been around each other for most of our lives. And so uh, every Christmas on Christmas Eve, the boys, uh, the brothers would do a gift exchange. And as as members of Lil Cap and Travis and the Hoggies have probably noticed, uh, we can talk about all sorts of stuff, but we're always always complaining about how hard it is to find a topic mm-hmm. because. Like I said, we can talk about anything, but it's narrowing it down to what can all four of us talk about intelligently or entertainingly, and you know what kind of topics uh, can we actually bring up? Because we definitely have some topics that are far too dangerous for both the listener and confessor at that point, uh, like our many bombs. Um, Rachel V. Mahoney, mm. had there been bombs. Uh, Rachel V. Mahoney, Rachel V. Mahoney. Rachel V. Mahoney, had there been bombs, imagine. <laughs> we, we, we'd, have, we'd have a hell of a time trying to talk about it in our, in our current... Uh, yeah. It's like talking about yourself in a future tense, in the past tense, about a, about a time after that and in between. It's like, what I would have had to have one, have not yet done, it, there's, there's too much of that to right. do the whole time. So imagine that there's that legal paywall, and if I you got behind it, <laughs> right, if you, could, if you could get behind that legalese paywall, perhaps for the price of four burritos, we could probably chat about, <laughs> we could probably chat about improvised explosive devices. Uh, <laughs> improvised to destroy chunks of farmland. We may or may not would have could possibly have been doing it before. It's called an IED. <laughs> yes, we were making that's, IEDs before that's the they thing were you, cool. You used to like not get pregnant, right? Exactly. Yes. Okay. Yes. It blows oh. up your uterus. <laughs> you are going to get pregnant if you use that, right? <laughs> Grant, when we get to the bomb episode, you'll be shocked that any of us uh, near them ever got pregnant. Um. Okay, so the trick about getting the trick about getting a topic that we can all chat about, and uh, and kind of combining this brothers' gift exchange. I thought this year what we would do is we would uh, pick each other's names out of a hat and get each other a topic to talk about this year. Save the rigmarole of like you know what do we have to do or you know trying to figure it out. Like I said, each of us can tell a story. This is essentially just asking us to tell that story. Um, and uh, as I as I feel is a tradition. Uh, we could start with uh, Grant, who is the youngest. You can see, am, you can reveal who you picked. As far as I know, youngest. As far as Grant knows, he's the he's the youngest and not pregnantest. Yes, uh, tied <laughs> the for youngest least pregnant. And least pregnant. Tied, <laughs> tied with Matt. Um, so I uh, I had I drew Ben, and to be honest, I did not know what to get you, and I he's really tough. phoned he's this in. I googled. Uh, Christmas, just the word, just G. I didn't even go Christmas gift. It just Christmas G, and then clicked on the first link. Uh, it turns <laughs> out the topic I got you uh, was the story of the first Christmas. Uh, as far as I know, uh, I believe it took place in 1971 at the National Muscle Car Expo in Las Vegas. Ah, 
and that is a great topic. Um, so I've got a good story for you about the first Christmas then, Grant. So this is a story of the first Christmas. Our story takes... Gather around, children. Sam Elliott. Our story takes or place saddle in up the partner? city of, I can't tell. <laughs> in the city of Winnemucca, Nevada. The year was 1970 and one. Richard Nixon was in the White House. All in the Family made its television debut. And in Switzerland, women finally had the right to vote. <laughs> this is a true... That is true. Yes. yes, it was shaping up to be quite a year. But for Joseph Robertson, it was a real dog's breakfast. Now, old Joe had knocked up his girlfriend, Mary, and the bill was just about to come due. They told Mary's parents that it was a miracle conception, and they believed it, because they were dumber than hell. <laughs> Dumb and traditional are often both mates, and Mary's parents were no exception. Regardless of the origin of the situation, they felt the two ought to get married. Now, Joe kicked that can down the road about as far as he could, but with Mary nearly at the peak of her size and disgustingness, he could avoid the situation no longer. Now, despite its squirrely reputation on weddings, the state of Nevada requires a birth certificate in order to obtain a marriage license, and this required Joseph to travel to the city of his birth in order to retrieve a copy. Mary had nothing better to do, and the only automobile in the relationship, so the couple made the long drive down to Las Vegas in her 1958 DeSoto Fire Sweep. An absolute, old-fashioned, sun-dried, white dog turd of a car. You <laughs> <laughs> really, really taste the age and how white it is. <laughs> After a few hours, Joseph noticed the old mule was almost out of gas. So he pulled into the next service station and had him fill her back up again. After paying, the attendant gave him his change and said, Here, it's your lucky day, and flipped him a quarter. Joseph caught it and said, Thanks, uh... Gabriel, said the man. Well, thanks, Gabriel, said Joseph, and he drove off. You stupid peckerwood, said Gabriel. <laughs> he watched him drive away. That quarter was just up my bunghole. He's <laughs> got the upper hand now. It took a whole day to get to Las Vegas, but they finally arrived. Joseph drove over to the hospital and got himself a copy of the birth certificate, just as he had planned. On his way back across town, he heard an ad on the radio for the 1971 Las Vegas Muscle Car Expo, and he knew he had to check it out. However... When he pulled up to the expo center, he was turned away, as there was no room in the parking lot. He had to drive ten blocks away and park behind a 7-Eleven. It was a long walk back to the expo center, and Mary was working up quite a racket, huffing and puffing like a fat man putting his shoes on. Joe wasn't too thrilled to be seen with Mary, a grunting, swollen caricature of what was once his girlfriend, and who at best was a six. <laughs> but his mood changed with the dynamics of a thunderclap when he got to that expo showroom. There was a mustard yellow AMC Javelin AMX and a raven black Ford Mustang Boss 351. 
a two-tone T37, and a badass Buick GSX. Joe was happier than a slopped hog, and all the grunting was coming from Mary. In fact, she was beginning to draw a crowd. One man told Joe he needed to get her to a hospital immediately, but when Joe explained where he parked, they called for an ambulance and whisked them out front lickety-split. As they loaded his sweaty, moaning mound of a partner in the vehicle, Joe said he'd grab the car and meet them at the hospital. But with Mary on her way, he knew he could finally finish checking out the expo in peace. It was bittersweet, knowing this would be a day he would remember forever, seeing all of those magnificent marvels of Michigan engineering. But it was something he could never afford. And being so close and yet so far from them was weighing heavy on his mind. Well, friends, this being Las Vegas, even the Expo Center had a slot machine. And as Joe walked past it, he suddenly remembered the oddly slick quarter in his pocket. (laughs) He dropped it in, pulled the lever, and what do you know, he won. Sirens blared and bells rang. And before he could make heads or tails of the situation, he was up on a stage, being handed the keys to a fiery red 426-horsepower Dodge Charger Super B. Three men in wide, beaming smiles walked over to Joe and introduced themselves. Hello, son, said the first man. My name is Jimmy Kruger. They call me the King of Cars. I own the Dodge dealership that donated that car, and I'd like to give you a little something extra to make your day even more special. And he handed him a gold watch with a Dodge logo on the face. Howdy, son, said the second man. My name's Marty Johnson. They call me the King of Deals. I run the bank that writes loans for the dealerships in town, and I'd like to brighten your day, too. Here. It's an incense air freshener for your new car. Naturally, this seemed like a total garbage gift compared to the watch. (laughs) But that's well-worn joke territory. Joe smiled and accepted it nonetheless. Hi there, son, said the third man. My name is Bob Carter, and they call me the King of Whores. I run a great whorehouse just outside of town, and tonight, why, it's my treat. Joe took him up on his offer and drove his Dodge Charger to the whorehouse and his penis into pussy. He ran wild through that whorehouse all night, soaking his pubes in slick pussy juice and covering his cock with more shit than a gas station attendant's quarter. Three great gouts have come across their face, tits, and asses until his swollen dick <laughs> farted out not but wind. Fuck. It was the greatest Fuck day me. of Joe's life. <clears throat> and the best part, he never saw Mary again. <laughs> <laughs> and so, every 25th of December, we remember that day all those years ago. We give each other gifts, just like that gas station attendant and those three nice gentlemen gave to Joe. We eat cookies, just like Joe did often 
but we didn't have enough time to cover in this limited format. <laughs> and we go door to door caroling, just like Joe went whore to whore, running up in that gash until he darn near broke his dick. You might think that I should have used a Chrysler, but the but a Dodge is a brand owned by Chrysler. Why, it's a Christmas miracle after all. <laughs> That's the story of the first Christmas. Cool. I, I often forget, um, having grown up in Catholic school and heard this story a million times, I often forget um, <laughs> how many ropes have come are involved in the first Christmas. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me about that, man. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, it's a nice one. I like to tell it to the kids at Christmas every year. Uh, like they say, Ben's gonna Ben. <laughs> I think I had one of those. Uh, I had a golden book. I think that had that, and it told that story. Mm, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. It's a pop-up book, and it was very memorable. Beautiful Buick GSX. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was worth the memorable parts, but yeah. Anyway, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it had those parts, but that's not what I'm thinking yes. of. Mm. Amazing. Well, I, I appreciate the story of the first Christmas there from you, Ben. Uh, who do you who do you have in the gift exchange? Oh, this is this is kind of funny. Um, actually, uh, the gift I got for Matt was the story of the first Christmas. Mm. <laughs> um, no way. Yeah, uh, only it takes place during a hostage situation at an airport Sabaro on Mexican primetime television. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you guys are in luck. Uh, I we I am happy to tell you guys the story of the first Christmas uh, that takes place during a, a hostage situation at a Sabaro on Mexican primetime television. Or as it's uh, also known, night, the story of the first Christmas. The story, story of the, of the first, first Christmas. Christmas, right? Um, I will say last night, uh, just to make sure I get the story right and accurate, um, I did watch. Uh, a single episode of the longest-running variety show in world history, Sabado Gigante. Sabado yes. Gigante, yes. Yes. So I'm just saying, if you got any part of the first Christmas seems really bizarre or out of place, that's a you problem because I'm getting this <laughs> literally from the single episode of Sabado Gigante that I watched. Also, I, keep in mind, I don't really speak Spanish, so I was, I'm kind of gleaning and trying to get the gist, but I think I, think I got it. I think I got it. So, I made a Spanish <clears> cake once. This is true. It was it was spicy. spicy. All right, so uh, it, it's kind of simple, but you know it's airing on a Sabado Gigante uh, uh, primetime, kind of like a, a children's but fun for the whole family primetime Christmas special. Okay, Maria lived with her husband Jose in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. They lived a happy and modest life. One day, Maria was praying to God when a man having a sit-up competition with a walrus appeared to her. (laughs) The man having a sit-up competition with a walrus told her she would soon give birth to the Son of God. Indeed, Maria became pregnant. As her delivery date drew near, the emperor decreed that all families return to their ancestral home so a census could be taken and taxes collected. So Maria and Jose went to the airport to fly to Bethlehem the town of Jose's birth. Uh When they got to their gate, they were told they couldn't board because there was no room for them on the plane. Uh They tried the next gate and were told the same thing. Gate after gate, they were denied. (laughs) 
until at the final gate... I know how an airport works. <laughs> the attendant said... The attendant said Maria could board if she could win a singing competition against people dressed as a nurse, construction worker, janitor, police officer, chef, and dentist. They all sang various songs in Spanish, <laughs> each standing next to a creepy guy playing a large trumpet wearing what can only be described as an Egyptian Power Ranger costume. <laughs> 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 on they sang one by one all next to this polyester wearing ninja guy with a long horn <laughs> when the judges tallied their votes Maria was not the winner they would have to spend the night in the terminal oh no at this time Maria went into labor Jose was very worried because he had no training in such matters he looked for a medical expert he was in luck for a colorful surgeon with a sexy nurse was nearby. <laughs> Jose went up to the surgeon to explain his wife needed help giving birth, and the surgeon agreed to help. Unfortunately, he was quickly distracted by a woman with large breasts who told a comical story about her boobs being uneven in size. <laughs> the surgeon told a witty punchline about her boobs and winked at the camera. <laughs> so, Jose and Maria were on their own. God must have been on their side, though, for she gave birth to a baby boy, and she named him Jesus. Three wise men saw this miraculous birth from across the terminal. They knew immediately that this child must be the Son of God, so they set out to find gifts befitting of such majesty. The first man, Gaspar, went to the Hudson News Store. <laughs> he found a perfect gift A Michael Crichton book and some trail mix <laughs> When attempting to check out though He was stymied by a barbell With many weights that a luchador had left in the aisle <laughs> A fat lady tried to lift it Ay mi espalda she, she cried out to the delight of the studio audience then, a man dressed as an old granny made a zany entrance. The old granny almost fell over, but sure enough, she lifted the dumbbell over her head. Just as she did, the luchador returned, and boy was he cross at the old granny. <laughs> oh, hell yeah, he would be. As Get he was about weights. to give her what for, a buxom lady entered and distracted the luchador. <laughs> <laughs> the crowd applauded, and Gaspar purchased the Michael Crichton book and, and trail mix for Jesus. The second wise man, Melchior, determined to find a gift worthy for the king of kings, went to Brookstone. There were so many great gifts to choose from, from neck pillows to handheld massagers to massaging neck pillows <laughs> <laughs> that Melchior asked an employee for help. It turned out the employee was also a game show host, and at this point, the experience pivoted into, several, pivoted into several game shows, and for the sake of time, I'll just say there was a direct copy of Let's Make a Deal, a dating game <laughs> ripoff, multiple games taken from The Price is Right, but we'll just skip to the part where Melchior won a prize for Jesus, the Reathlete Healer Express Knee Massager. Mm, that's a good one. That's, that's a good the third one. wise man, Balthazar, opted for a sporty gift for the boy king and went to the sunglass hut. He found the perfect pair of shades, but was interrupted when two large men and a midget came into the store. And boy, did they ever get up to some shenanigans. 
roughhousing, carousing, and carrying on like no one's business. <laughs> carrying on? Yeah. Balthazar wasn't sure how he could get around this brilliant physical comedy routine and purchase the shades. <laughs> as if on cue, a sexy lady came in. And as the two large men were holding the midget upside down so he could look up her skirt, Balthazar mm-hmm. ran around them and got the gift. That's a great, that's a great move. That's what people would do with the little guy. He'd be like, hey, hold me upside down. No one will be able to tell what's happening here. Give me a flip. The three wise men regrouped and compared gifts. Each one knew that the other's handsome presents were sure to curry favor with the Lord. They agreed to present the gifts to him together so they would all three be equal in his eyes. The wise men had a great journey ahead of them to get back to the gate where the babe lie. They had wandered far and were not sure they could make it back without further sustenance. Lo, they saw a sign from upon high, a sign for a sabaro at the end of the terminal. <laughs> they were saved. All three entered the sabaro and began perusing the menu of the finest authentic New York pizzas. As Balthazar and Gaspar were debating on splitting a New York Supremo pie amongst the group, they turned and saw Melchior trying to sneak away, for he wanted to give his gift to Jesus first. Hold it right there, motherfucker. <laughs> said Balthazar as he pointed his gun at Melchior. <laughs> we do this together. As Melchior and Balthazar argued, Gaspar tried to sneak away from Sabaro. Not another step, asshole, said Melchior, pointing a gun at Gaspar. Gaspar pulled out two guns, pointing one each at Melchior and Balthazar. <laughs> Melchior now pointed his second gun at Balthazar. Balthazar, his second gun at Gaspar. The men tensely stared at each other, sweat dripping down their anxious brows. The Michael Crichton book and trail mix, the Reathlete Healer Express Knee Massager, and the polarized Oakley Radar EV Path Shades all sat on the Sabaro floor. The babe would have to wait. And that is the story of the first Mexican standoff. <laughs> I mean, Christmas. <laughs> uh. Oh, is that, I guess that was different than mine. You know, they said like uh, different countries have like different, kind of some different culture, uh, different like holiday customs, like you know? Father Christmas, Santa Claus. Exactly, exactly. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Gotcha. I mean, there were also four Gospels that told pretty much the same story, but you know, it was a little right. different exactly. here and there. And some differences. Yeah. So. Yeah, different point of view. I like it though. You know, speaking of four Gospels all kind of telling the same story. This is... Flawless you guys aren't going to believe this. Uh, so I had Corey in the gift exchange. Ooh, what'd you uh, get me? And I decided, well, I got Corey the, the story of the first Christmas. Um, <laughs> but it's a, what I had said to Corey, you know, just trying to keep give him the range of whatever culture he wants to to go after here. And, and I know how Corey loves original uh, content. I said, tell us the story of the first Christmas uh, told as Star Wars First Christmas, a holiday special set to air this Christmas Eve. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think I'd love to tell you that story, Matt. And, uh, and the, fa- the fact of the matter is, I thought I was going to troll you and start reading the synopsis of the original Star Wars holiday special. 
Uh, but having read through it, I was like, this this is I'm being pranked. Yeah. <laughs> when I tell you yeah. that when I tell you Chewie's son Lumpy is almost executed by a, a stormtrooper during a life day celebration while he's broadcasting a, a pirate radio signal to crash a star destroyer, you'll say, No, Corey, you made that up. Um, Lumpy? Nah. You yeah. made that up. No, Lumpy is real. Chewy <sighs> and Lumpy. Yeah. Just like mashed potatoes. Is it like lump baka or something? Is it like short? <laughs> lump baka. I like how that would make it better. <laughs> that would. Like that, that makes it make sense. sense. Somehow we got to justify this. <laughs> he's only yeah. Matt. Matt, he's only lump baka he when he's in Chewy, trouble. Not because of his texture. It was, it was a nickname for Chewbacca. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, and we're here for a Star Wars story. We're here for a Star Wars story, which means that what we're here for are fan service, poorly thought out mm-hmm. plots, and lightsabers. Mm-hmm. So let's get into it. So The big three. Yes. Um, exactly what I was hoping for. Premiering this Christmas Eve, directed by A.A. J. Abrams, I'm about to read to you the, <laughs> the plot summary of Star Wars Episode Ten: A First Christmas Awakens, A Star Wars Story. <laughs> colon, solo, colon, return to Directed by A.J. Abrams. Um, and so uh, we started with the title crawl. It is a period of holiday cheer. Rebel spaceships operating from a hidden base have celebrated their first holiday against the evil Galactic Empire. During the festivities, <laughs> rebel wise men have managed to locate a secret star. <laughs> <laughs> rebel would... wise men. <laughs> I'm doing the title crawl. <laughs> the, the text uh, is going to crawl too fast. You won't be able to read it, Ben. Yeah, cr- oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> crawl back. Yeah, Got to catch up. During the festivities... Rebel wise men managed to locate a secret star, which would lead them to a savior that would destroy the Empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Death Star, an armored Death Star with the power to destroy an entire Death Star. (laughs) Holy shit. Forced by sinister agents of the Empire to travel to her husband's home planet of Tatooine to pay taxes or for a census or something, (laughs) Princess Mary and her husband, Joseph Skywalker, and some Wookiees, Fly through space <laughs> only to discover that Princess Mary is pregnant with the Force. Wh- <laughs> <laughs> oh, whoa. Oh, shit. Okay, so there's a lot of branding that goes along with this. It's Star Wars. Um, this is going to be on TV. I am reading an advanced copy of the children's board book, like the night before Christmas kind of deal. And even, okay. the, even the written printed copy, the first page says, intro, 10-minute uncut space battle shot. Ooh. <laughs> so I just want to get that in there. Okay. So while you're sitting around the the, the tree uh, on Christmas Eve, you let the kids, you know, ponder a ten minute battle uh, scene. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So many explosions. Classic holiday. Keep going, keep kids. Going. That's only two. See how impressive it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, if you want to do that, I'm gonna have to cut to a different angle. You got to keep it uncut. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so the, our story begins. Uh, Princess Mary and Joseph Skywalker land on the planet Tatooine. Um, Joseph and some of the Wookiees go into town to barter some of the, uh, of the ship's uh, food, parts, and luxury room furnishings to see if they can get a room at the cantina. But Wooher, the actual name of the bartender at the cantina, says there's no rooms available at the cantina because cantinas don't have rooms. Joseph Ooh. was thinking of an inn. <laughs> <clears throat> but Wooher tells Joseph, even though he was thinking of an inn, he'll let Joseph and, princess, and the princess sleep in the nativity scene if Joseph can bullseye some womp rats for him, which is good because Princess Mary's water broke just then. Mm. Oh, you need a nativity fast. <laughs> right, quick to the nativity scene. So we're just going to let him sleep in the nativity scene. 
As the star begins to glow over the cantina nativity scene, the Force appears to every sand people and Jawa in the area and told them that wow. a Jedi savior, where a Jedi savior could be found. The wise men, upon seeing the star, dumped their trash and made the jump to light speed in their Corellian Corvette. There was much treachery afoot in these days, so when they reached Tatooine, they met with their rebel underground contact, Darth Herod. <laughs> <laughs> they informed him that somewhere on Tatooine would be born a Jedi savior, or possibly his offspring, that was prophesied to destroy the Sith. Darth Herod secretly didn't want the Empire overthrown, not because of the Sith Jedi thing, but mainly because the rebels had no coherent plan of governance to replace the order of the Empire. <laughs> Herod bade them, return as soon as you find the baby Jedi, that I may worship him as well. Not because I'm an adult man that could easily wipe out a baby that was foretold to end my rule. I mean Sith rule. <laughs> the wise men left in a speeder, and Darth Herod planned to cut the baby in two with his unique type of lightsaber. Ooh. It's it's like nothing you've ever Ooh. seen, people. It's like nothing you've ever seen. Sword people on the shaped? video feed, your minds are blown. Just I'm thinking like, oh, saber chucks. Holding the lightsaber. Saber chucks. Back at Mos Eisley, Princess Mary went into labor with all the sand people and Jawas and Wookies watching. As the baby plopped out into the manger. R2-D2 rolled up and broadcast a hologram of C-3PO saying, For behold, I bring unto you the title crawl of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day on the planet Tatooine a Jedi, which is Christ the Lord, and shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe swaddled in Padawan robes, lying in a manger. <laughs> and suddenly there was with the protocol droid a multitude of heavenly music written and conducted by John Williams. <laughs> and he said, May the force be with you, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. That's the meaning of Christmas, Charlie Brown. As C-3PO <laughs> C shut up, the Jawas said, Utidi, and the sand people did their grunt thing, and the Banthas all bowed down. Just then, the wise men arrived in their speeder, and they knelt before the baby king and said, Wisa bring in you, Yusa gold, oh, and, and frankincense, and Wisa also bring in you some myrrh. <laughs> Trigger warning. It's gonna be some kind of trigger warning. Not doing voices. Not doing voices. Anyways, (laughs) (laughs) just reading as it's written. Uh, (laughs) It's not my fault. It's not racist if I just read it. Right. Princess Mary said, "Thank you," and Han said, "I know." And Chewie growled as he pointed at the Death Star. And Baby Jesus said, "That's no Death Star," and he used his lightsaber to stop the Death Death Star. And a Tie Fighter blew into pieces above the manger as a squad of X Wings flew past. And Ben Kenobi appeared as a ghost to the wise men and told them to train with Yoda instead of going back to Darth Herod. And Darth Herod <laughs> hired Boba Fett to find the Jedi Christ, but the Force was too strong because Baby Jesus had so many midichlorians in his blood. <laughs> the end. <laughs> oh wow! Got a little tight there as Yay. I realized there was some fan service that I didn't make it into the original cut. Yeah. But that's caroled. That, like, that ending theme, that like boisterous fanfare, but it's caroled like uh, Charlie Brown when they're just going, uh, yeah. singing like Hark the Herald. There it is. Oh, damn, that's awesome. Yeah. So that's how we end that one. The story of the first Christmas. Um which, uh, which as, as fun as that was, and I've enjoyed all these, it is a little embarrassing because um, uh, who I picked because in the, the, the gift exchange. Because right? of the jar Oh, jar no, thing. never mind. Anytime you have to do jar jar. <laughs> I hate doing jar face. Um, <laughs> but it just, I mean, if I don't dress up 
in in the in the paint and the costume in the face, I feel like I'm being uh, unsensitive. Uh, well, anyway, so so Grant, I ha- I picked you in the gift exchange, and mm-hmm. uh, funnily enough, I got you the story of the first Christmas. Oh, uh, shit, that know, sucks. My gosh. No, but uh, but luckily I got you the I, I picked out for you the the one that takes place in the fantasy realm, including a Christmas boot, a Christmas barrel, and a Christmas bribe. Ah, oh. hmm. Well, uh, see what I can uh, do with that here. Um, so, once upon a time, there was a small town called the Shire. That's S-H-Y-R-E. It's a completely different thing. <laughs> right, right. In this town, there lived two people, Joseph Goldman and Mary Leibowitz. They fell in love and were engaged to be married. Uh, but one day, an evil lich named God struck Mary with the curse of pregnancy. <laughs> that, that's God. It's G-O-H-D. It's a completely different thing. <laughs> Many women in the Shire had been struck with this terrible curse before. It caused a woman's (laughs) belly to swell up more and more until it finally exploded, killing everyone nearby, or so it was believed. Luckily, this particular town was run by a council of three very wise men. They had always taken quick action in these cases and rounded up an angry mob to throw the pregnant woman off a cliff, thereby averting disaster for the Shire. Months went by, and Mary Leibowitz had more and more trouble hiding the ticking time bombs swelling up inside her. Eventually, the three wise men found out about the curse and rounded up an angry mob. As they approached Mary and Joseph's house, Mary hid in the basement. The wise men said to Joseph, Hey, Joseph, it's us, the three wise men. Say, is uh, Mary home? We'd like to grab her and throw her off a cliff before she explodes and kills us all. Joseph replied, uh, she's at the mall, um, but I'll let you know when she gets back. <laughs> Luckily for Joseph, even in ancient times, women be shopping. This excuse was bought with no pushback whatsoever. <laughs> After the angry mob left, Joseph went into his garage and searched through all of his old stuff. Eventually, he found what he was looking for, the holy barrel of Antioch. <laughs> He got it at the Antioch Outlet Mall a few years ago. (laughs) I think he'd probably have a use for it at some point. He never really did anything with it, and it just kind of got chucked in the garage, but now he's finally thought of a use for it, stuffing his pregnant wife inside it to smuggle her out of town. And so Joseph crammed Mary inside the barrel, pounding the lid with a hammer over and over until it finally closed. He loaded up the barrel on his horse-drawn cart and made for the edge of town. At the city gates, a guard stopped him and said, Hey, Joseph, what are you up to? Joseph said, Oh, just out for a nice solo midnight cart ride to the middle of nowhere. The guard replied, (laughs) One of those, eh? Sounds like a good time. (laughs) Say, has your wife gotten back from shopping yet? We sure would like to grab her and throw her off a cliff. Joseph said, Uh, no, she's she's still at the mall. Uh, J.C. Penney's is having a big sale, so uh, she's got to take advantage of it before it goes away. The guard understood and said, oh, all right, well, you let us know when she's back. So, what's in the barrel? Joseph, nervous, said, oh, that? That's just a barrel of some used-up pornography. I'll probably <laughs> dump it in a ravine somewhere. The guard, eyes narrowing, said, is that so? 
Do you know how many people try and make it through these gates with barrels of what they tell me is used up pornography, when in fact what they're full of is sorghum, which is a controlled taxed commodity in this province, the illegal transportation of which could result in a fine of up to 1,000 gold sovereigns and up to 10 years in the city tower? Joseph replied, well, that may be, but I assure you that this barrel contains nothing but explicit imagery which I no longer find titillating. Joseph pulled a gold coin out of his wallet and said, And if you were to ask my friend Leopold IV about it, I'm sure he'd vouch for me. The guard, thinking it over, replied, Yes, well, Leopold IV is certainly a trustworthy man, but I'm sure if he were to commiserate with his good friend Grand Duke Charles VI, he would certainly be able to come to a reasonable conclusion about all this. Joseph, now producing a silver coin, said, Ah, yes, the, the Grand Duke could certainly advise his highness on this matter. Opening the gate, the guard replied, Thank you very much, Joseph. These two men will get straight to work debating this issue. Joseph guided his horse and cart through the gate and successfully escaped the city. But as the guard sat cross-legged, holding the two coins and making them kiss, something didn't sit right with him. <laughs> <laughs> Why would Mary need to shop at J.C. Penney's just because there's a sale? Everyone knows J.C. Penney's everyday prices are already so low that they can barely be distinguished from sale prices. Shopping at J.C. Penney's is so affordable that even the most frugal families can find brand name merchandise that they can fit inside their budget. He decided to tell the wise men about it. When they heard about what happened, the wise men rounded up an angry mob and went after Joseph. As Joseph drove his cart through the wilderness, he heard Mary banging on the barrel, so he let her out. She said her belly feels like it's about to explode, so Joseph drove around until he found a quaint little bomb shelter out in the country. Unfortunately, they were charging 12 silver pieces up from their usual 10. Joseph, being a man of principle, refused to pay this exorbitant price, and so he drove around looking for a bomb shelter that knew how to treat its customers. While Mary continued screaming in the back, Joseph went to five more bomb shelters until he found one that was charging a fair price. Unfortunately, the bomb shelter was full. There were too many people who had heard there was a pregnant woman around, and they were all seeking shelter from the deadly blast that was sure to erupt at any minute. This impasse, coupled with Mary's continued cries of pain, finally opened Joseph's eyes, Joseph's eyes to how silly he was being. These people were right all along. Mary was going to explode. He realized that all they had to do was put Mary in the bomb shelter by herself and everyone else would be safe from her on the outside. So the bomb shelter emptied out and they tossed the pregnant Mary inside and locked the door, thus saving the entire province from certain annihilation. Just then, the three wise men and the angry mob appeared and demanded that Joseph hand over Mary. When Joseph explained that they were simply going to let Mary explode inside the shelter, the three wise men congratulated him on finding such an elegant solution to the problem. Many onlookers suggested Joseph should join the Council of Wise Elders, but he turned it down, preferring to keep his current occupation of combing through piles of horse dung to see if any of them had accidentally eaten any coins. <laughs> Suddenly, <laughs> they heard a sound coming from inside the bomb shelter. But it wasn't an explosion. It was the sound of crying. Something else was inside the bomb shelter with Mary. Peering inside, they saw Mary holding what appeared to be a tiny, naked human. No one knew quite what to make of this miracle. But they were sure of one thing. Both Mary and the tiny, screaming human needed to be thrown off a cliff. 
<laughs> As they tied them up, God, the lich, appeared. He said that it was he who magically cursed Mary with pregnancy, and he did it so she would produce this tiny human for him. For you see, this tiny human will one day be the lord and master of all. The lich will see to that. <laughs> the people prostrated themselves before their new lord, offering extravagant gifts which they hoped would please him. A poor little cobbler's son stepped forward and said he had nothing to offer the new lord except his root baboot boot. <laughs> Smiling at this little boy, the lich cast a spell, causing the boy's intestines to be pulled out through his urethra. Everyone cheered the end of this annoying little boy, and they all lived happily ever after. Uh, the end. Were, but it that easy with the drummer boy. <laughs> Root, baboot, boot. Root, baboot, boot. I don't feel good about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't a Jar Jar quote, so yeah. you always got that. Uh, if I had made Jar Jar the little drummer boy, where would we be? Let's not do it. Me, sa, play for you. Rootsa, tootsa, toot, toot. God damn it. I have to say, this being the first topic non-gift exchange that we've done in place of the gift exchange, this has been an excellent... This has been an excellent time. Uh, I got a lot of enjoyment out of that. I hope I hope we recorded it for Lil Cap and Travis. That was a lot of fun. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, I hope no one gets all four of us the uh, first story of the first Christmas for next year's uh, <laughs> for next year's version of that would this. suck. <laughs> oh no, it, the same it, thing. It was a real Christmas miracle. Yes, the gift well, of the Magi. Nope, Little Captain Travis. Uh, how do you how do you celebrate the first Christmas? Uh, let us know. Email us at freelegaladvicepodcast at gmail.com. To prove to Grant that that is how the gift of the it Magi works. works. That is exactly what that story is about. <laughs> and also to see pictures of me looking at a woman with large breasts and winking at the camera. <laughs> follow my Instagram account, but also you can follow Free Legal Advice where we do pictures and stuff. We're on Instagram at Free Legal Advice Podcast. And like Grant always says, there's no better place to prove where you can follow us proving that we celebrate the beauty of pregnancy and the miracle of birth this than is by true. following us on Twitter. We're at Free Legal Pod. We respect pregnant women and everything <laughs> that they go through. Clearly. And if you and if you like the show, could you tell us the story of the first Christmas? I feel like we, we hit some of the major beats, but uh, we're a little bit all over the place. That's how it uh, goes. Uh, yeah, I think uh, we nailed it. You, you tell us your story of the first Christmas, and then we'll add some more uh, Wookiees and Jar Jar to it. <laughs> Perhaps some, uh, a, a, a buxom clown who's uh, juggling <laughs> uh, on a game show. <laughs> oh, the Book of Luke, yeah. Merry Christmas, moisture evaporators! Classic. 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 A classic bit. Episode 101. Okay, scout trip. Matt, you brought up scouting trips. Yeah. Um, it had to have been a, a city trip, because we, of course, did all the camping stuff, too. 
but at one that I can remember, um, I I peed in a glass. Like someone left, you know, they put the room service stuff outside of the door. I peed in one, but somebody took a dump on one of the plates. It wasn't clearly, <laughs> it was clearly not our room service, but we just saw it and then went out and then... Uh, I was not able to crap on command like that. Like I was. <laughs> that guy You're today a is a lawyer, folks. This is a true story. Um, uh, he's probably listening to this to get advice to fuel his practice. But uh, anyway, I was always impressed by that he just like went in the bathroom, dropped one on the plate. I mean, this is like bigger than a Jimmy Dean sausage, but it was no like uh, no Ooh, wasn't, wasn't no a prize sandwich. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't a party sub. This is an on-off <laughs> condition. Either yeah. either there is poop or isn't. The size and amount is not is negligible. Okay, fair. The main concern is poop on this thing. Yeah, yeah. So then somebody went to pick up the room service, and there was a turd on the plate, and uh-huh. uh, um, and a glass of pee. So hooray! I, <laughs> <laughs> now at the time, Grant, it seemed very funny. Well, yeah, uh, you were just a kid, an well, awful that's what kid. I'm, I mean, that's what I'm saying. An let's let's recreate this scene from from the mind. <laughs> Of kids walking, they, I picture them with you know sticks in their hand, just kind of banging around, walking, and then and then oh, yes. balls with one side. There's, there's a there's, and no for shoes. some reason there's a a, pl- a tray with a plate and silver. There's a table setting out in the hallway. Yeah, let's shit like, on it. Let's shit. <laughs> yeah, that's the, first, that's the only thing that comes to a it's kid's like, mind. Hey, an what unexpected object. Let's shit on it. Right. What if there was a anything. big turd? It's just like one of us said, like. Hey, what if there was a turd on that plate, and then we thought it was really funny, and then it was like, we should poop on it. Yeah, we should. We should poop on it. Could you poop on it? Would you? Who would do the pooping? I'll do the pooping. Poop. All right, let's poop on it. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. Now, logistically, I believe I remember the, the story being told that he crab walked across the tray to, to leave it. <laughs> that, is, that is when uh, somebody else is regaling the tale of okay, Paul Bunyan okay. to you. No, I was okay. there. He went in the bathroom, and he came out, and I was... And, he was pleased as punch. Okay. Uh, that's what he did. See, I, I understood it to be that it was out in the hallway. He just crab walked across the tray as no, he... No, no, sir. <laughs> no, that is pretty amazing. But also, it takes some butt strength to crab walk, and I think you're going you're gonna to make a Rorschach if you uh, do that. So, Yeah, you want it to be nice recommend. and neat when you're sitting on flatware. <laughs> yeah. Turn internet over.